Welcome to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as our Bible teacher explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. Also, you can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, www.fbcaa.org. You can watch our services at fbcaa.org live or on YouTube. We thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as we open God's Word. Good morning. We're going to James chapter 3. And this time, a certain brother sitting among us won't have to wonder if I'm actually going to get to chapter 3 this time, because I'm going to start there and read the chapter first, and then I'll come back and make some comments. James chapter 3. My brethren, let not many among you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us and return their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they'll turn by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed or has been tamed by mankind, tamed. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless God and Father 
and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth, the same mouth, proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not. These things ought not to be so. Verse 11, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grape vine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show of, by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So in this chapter, we see a, a magnified interest, a magnified emphasis on the power of the tongue. And when we read and listen to what is stated and what I just read, that tongue has enormous power that we can just think about that for a long time and think the power of the tongue and each of one of us has one to use and we use it but the power the enormous power so what James does is he illustrates that power with plain and easy to understand terms and he expresses the importance of managing and properly using the tongue. His idea as presented is that there is enormous power but it needs to be managed. Enormous power 
but it needs to be under control. Enormous power, but it needs to be used for proper purposes. In verse 1 here, where he talks about teachers, there's that emphasis on teachers. And I have read some commentaries that seem to see this as a surprising and an abrupt uh, change into what, as to what James is, is doing here in this letter. They call, they call it kind of an abrupt uh, entry. But as, I've, as I have thought about that, I, I don't see it quite that way. And let me tell you why I don't see it quite that way. I don't see it as abrupt. When you consider the emphasis that is given to the tongue, and he starts with teachers. To me, that would seem to be a reasonable place to start uh, to talk about the tongue in terms of teachers. Why would that be? Well, I would give a couple of reasons. And, and two of those are that oftentimes teachers have a larger audience. Often, most frequently, the teachers in a given setting, especially if that's a platform, they have a, more, they have a larger audience. You, I have right now, in this auditorium, a much larger audience hearing my words than you. Even if you were to raise your hand or to answer a question or ask one, still, I have given more words out. And so that, I think, is one of the reasons to, it's good to have the teachers, those ones who are putting more out, to be at the focal point here. And then, clearly, the principles apply to everybody, but to start there. But there's another thing, too. Oftentimes, there is more confidence and trust placed in what teachers say than in what just the average person might say. We have some teachers in here. And I think, you know, when the students look at them, and, and many students just take what they say, lock, stock, and barrel, and run with it, right? Why? Because they're their teacher, right? So for James now to emphasize the proper use of the tongue, it seems that the proper place to start in this major emphasis is, is right with the teachers those who are most likely to have the greatest impact on the greatest number, number of people. So to me, that's all reasonable, and that's a good thing. But also consider, in terms of this chapter 3, that in verse 1 of chapter, I mean, verse 26 of chapter 1, it talks about the bridling of the tongue. And so he's talking about the importance of this issue that he is putting a major focus on in chapter 3. And then in chapter 2, we pointed out a lot of the proper and improper uses of the tongue. So he talks about these things. So it's a progression. 
But now, he said, I'm going to give a, a real powerful major emphasis on this issue. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? I think this is the most concentrated portion in the scriptures on that particular subject that he's addressing here. So why would he do it? Well, we know the answer to that. It's because his initial audience needed that, and we need it. And that's why it's there. Because as we have said over and over again, that what we have is not merely a person, a man, a human, to decide there are certain important principles, and we will present those. But we have the word of God coming through one of his own, will be gotten by him of his own will. And he is presenting these things. So it is in terms now, when James says, not, let not many of you become teachers, understand that there is a stricter judgment. That should deter a frivolous approach to get them into the position. To know there is a stricter judgment, to be judged by a stricter standard because of that position. And that's to be understood. So, I thought about it this way. It's, it's, it's best to, to try to understand what is at stake in a course of action and the potential consequences of not getting it right in terms of what James is saying to us in the first verse here. Those are important things. I thought about my work from which I retired. And one of the things that I thought about when I was looking at this and thinking about this is that when I was, one of my, one duty I had was before the sentencing of a defendant, I had to score the guidelines, what we call the guidelines. This is a state instrument that had been developed to try to help have kind of fairness in sentencing. And so we had to use certain factors and go put them in and then come out with a range to suggest to the judge the sentence within the range. Well, if I had an error in my calculation and the judge relied on it, it could have resulted in someone getting a lesser punishment or a harsher punishment than what the state intended. It could have had an impact on someone's life. But then I thought about surgeons in the operating room. What if they make a mistake? Well, the stakes are a bit higher than a mistake that I was guarding against. Because if a surgeon makes an error in the operating room, the result could be severe harm, 
to the patient or even the demise of the patient. High stakes. So it's important. And so we don't just grab anybody off the street and put them into the operating room and say, go perform the surgery. Why is that? Well, because we want to have a good result on the end. And so we want somebody who is carefully prepared to do that. I had to go through lots of training for the job that I had before, and we had continual training because the idea was to try to get it right. So what does this have to do with Chapter 3 of James? Here's what I'm going to say. If a Bible teacher teaches false doctrine, the error could have negative consequences for spiritual and eternal, for the spiritual and eternal prospects of the hero. So that means the stakes have raised even higher than a surgeon's error. Now, often we don't think about it like that. But it's important then to not rush into that position where people's spiritual welfare is at stake. I think that's what he's getting at. And so he says there is reason for caution. And there's reason to put in the effort to try to get it right. <laughs> to try to get it right. Not just go off the emotion, off the cuff. But to actually look into the book and say, Lord, help me to get some proper understanding. And to the limit of my understanding, help me to not insert and inject stuff that doesn't belong and that is, that is contrary, harmful things. You ask God to guard against, guard us against that. Even if I don't get the level of understanding that maybe I should have, at least preserve me, protect me from giving about a harmful error. <laughs> right? Maybe they didn't get all they should have gotten in understanding. But if I can at least not lead somebody down a bad trail and encourage it. That would be a wonderful thing. So that's what's going on there. That was verse 1. In verses 2 through 8, we have the, I use that word awesome again, the awesome power of the tongue. And we see how the tongue can be a very greatly destructive force. Wonderful, harmful, harmful. And again, now the first part of this, 2 through 8, tags on from verse 1, where it says, For we are all humble in many things. We all stumble in many things. And if anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his own body. I think the idea is that some one who is able to be disciplined in their tongue is able to live a disciplined life. And that's something to strive for, to have a disciplined life before God so that we're, we're just not flapping about doing things that we ought not to be doing. I think that's the point that he's saying. And so then he says, okay, so now think about this power and now it gets back to these illustrations that I talked about those last week. 
about the bit in the horse's mouth and how powerful the animal is. But it can be controlled. It can be brought under control. That's the point. So the tongue, he's saying, needs to be brought under control. That's interesting. So to put the bit in the horse's mouth and make it obey. That whole big powerful animal marching on down the trail because of a little, that little rider on top. Might be an 11-year-old girl sitting on that horse. <laughs> and that horse is obeying her and going where she says to go. Well, that's a wonderful thing. And so I picture a tongue being obedient to a good master. That's a wonderful thing. Then it talks about ships. Well, ships are massive. And in our era, <laughs> ships are so massive that James could never even, I think, even imagine what, what the ocean liners are like now, especially some of those massive ones, you know, where they land planes on them and planes taking off on them, all that sort of thing. That's the enormity of the thing. But to think that a thing like that in fierce ocean waters can be controlled, that's a lot of power. We thought the horse was powerful. Think about that. And those winds, how fierce they can be. But there can be control. And so the tongue, wow, that kind of power? You have to use those kinds of terms to talk about the power of the tongue, and we have one? Well, evidently. But it gets, it's progressing. The power of the horse, the power of the fierce winds and the ship that's in it, and the tongue being little and that power. So what does this say there? It says, even so the tongue, in verse 5, is a little member and boasts great things. And then notice this next part, part here. See how great a forest fire, a forest a little fire kindles? I don't know how many times we've read about forest fires that have burned thousands of acres and burned for months. And it started just because of some careless person. Maybe they threw a cigarette but, uh, off to the side. Just some sick, simple thing. Or maybe they just put their coals out all the way when they had a little campfire. And then you get all of this conflagration to burning. Wow, that, that's, that's enormous to think about the little spark from which it started. Sometimes it's just a strike of lightning. Boom. And then the whole thing. Boom. And then to use that kind of illustration to talk about the tongue, I think it's saying we really ought to be serious about this matter of the tongue and what it can do when it's misused. That's what the point is in this part. What is misused, it can bring enormous damage. So much so, it says the tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Now, as we see where he goes here, that hung the whole body, the course of nature, and then set on fire by hell. Think about that. Demonic 
influence, causing a tongue to speak what it's saying. A brother there had his hand, if I could hear what you. The course of nature, and what's my idea of what that is? Right, well, my idea of it is, if you think about the, the progression of, of the natural course of life, from the start all the way through to the end, again. So it, so it sets in motion, something that is continuous. Right. Now, after I get done, Pastor may help us with that a bit, if he has something more to add to it. But that's kind of the idea I get, is that it sets the whole thing in motion, gets it rolling. Yeah, it's a natural, I think, a natural course of what happens in, in this kind of a situation. I think if you think about it in relation to what it says about the, the whole body and the fire and what it does, that it, it gets everything involved and it keeps going. Yeah. So hopefully that is a, not putting you off on the, on the rabbit trail. But we'll come back to it and... I invite Pastor to, if he wants to make a comment on the theme of this. Now, it says here, it talks about what humans are able to, to do in their own power with relation to the animal kingdom. And the expression is used here. It talks about beasts, birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea. It says that people have learned how, how to tame those have learned how to tame all those things. You can think about in some of the uh, places where they have the whales and all the different tricks and the animals doing all these different things, showing that they can be tamed. They've learned how to tame it. But then it says about the tongue. It says there in verse number 8, no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil. And so the idea is that really, for the tongue to be under its proper control is a task too big for the mundane to handle. The mundane people, <laughs> us as people, for us to handle. Not that it can't be handled, or not that we can't bring some discipline to it. The idea, I don't think that's the idea. But the idea is there is work to be done and it has to be a lot of effort to bring what control we can to it. But it's, uh, it's unruly when it's improperly, improperly used. So then in, it's talked about full of deadly poison. We understand poison when we think about consuming something, perhaps in the Pharisee, we're looking for something edible, and somebody might make a mistake about the mushroom. They see that it might be a deadly mushroom, poison. The tongue, it says it's full of deadly poison. So deadly, but it's not speaking about a physical in that sense. The words are not causing people to have cancer or having certain diseases and that it's the poison 
it has to do with the spiritual condition of a person, poison. Setting them on a path or helping to confirm them on a path that's going away from God. Contradictory uses of the tongue are brought out in verses 9 to 12. Contradictory uses of the tongue. He said, we use the tongue. We bless our God and Father with it. That's a good thing. I talked about good uses and bad uses of the tongue. That's good. God is honored. He's pleased. Praise him. But then what do we have to do? We do. We curse men. Curse men. And here it says, who have been made in the similitude of God. It doesn't say anything here about cursing animals, and sometimes people do. You know, a dog yak at, yak at somebody's leg, and they curse that dog. <laughs> well, but he's not speaking against that right here. He's saying we curse someone who is made in God's image. In other words, he's saying you use that tongue to offend the God whom he used the tongue to bless and to honor and to praise. And he says, that's what you do. And then it says, my brethren, my brethren, that phrase again, these things ought not to be so. And so do you think that people who are listening, uh, reading, and we who are listening here are able to think about our own use of our tongue and know whether we have blessed God with it and also cursed one of our fellow humans with it. Do you think we're able to, to analyze, self-evaluate that way? Well, my answer is yes. And if we couldn't, the next statement wouldn't make any sense to say that it ought not to be so, right? The reason we can say that is check out and get it right. Otherwise, everything is wasted. It's wasted time. And so that's what the idea is, They're out of the same mouth. And then he says about a spring, you know, salt water, fresh water. And, uh, you know, one opening. And there's water coming out. Salt, fresh. It's okay if you've if you got a salt water fountain, fresh water fountain. But to have them both coming out of the same fountain, well, if you try that, what are you going to get? To bring salt water, fresh water out of the same fountain, what are you gonna get? You're gonna have salt water, right? It's contaminated. It ought not, it just doesn't work like that. Talks about a fig tree. What does it produce? Olives? No. Figs. A grape vine, does it bear figs? No. It bears grapes. So salt and water. Salt water, fresh water. One of the things I thought about that is. You know, in the worship that the, they had in the, under the Old Testament, the temple worship and all that, how there were certain vessels that they had that had certain specific uses in their worship. And they were not supposed to be used for anything else. Any other use would be a, defile, would be a defilement. And James is talking to people, Jewish Believers out of that background. They knew that all well, fine and well. This idea that certain, a vessel ought to be set apart 
So he's saying, in essence, our tongues should be set apart for good uses, right? Set aside for that, set apart for that, not bad uses, the tongue. So then, in Genesis 127, we learn that God so created man in his image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And if you curse one of them, God is not pleased. And I'm going to read another verse to show you he's really not pleased. If you miss uh, appropriate your anger or your opposition to one of his. Genesis 9 6 says this Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed for in the image of God. He made man. The image of God. God says, that one I made in my image. So if you murder the one I made in my image, I'm going to be very highly offended. And there is going to be a very severe punishment. God promises that. But now, this in chapter 9 of Genesis is God giving responsibility, assigning responsibility to human government to carry out the proper response to murder. But he also gave them the latitude to disobey him. That's a dilemma that we have, right? He's given that same latitude to us to disobey him to clearly understand what God said and say, no, I'm not going to do that. That's not a good place to be, but it is a real place. And now in verses 13 to 15, it talks about the wisdom and understanding in the use of the tongue. So now here we're coming to the positive side of it so that all of this power and this powerful tongue and, and we need to be warned. And so he said, first, get a grip on the potential destructive usefulness of the misuse of it. Get a grip on that. Because if you can contain yourself to prevent starting a forest fire that burns everything up, then you can focus on how can I use this enormous power for good? But if you try to focus on the good and you set everything afire, up on, to flames, then you can't get there. So to me, it, it, it's reasonable the way it's ordered. That you focus first on the negative part and now to the positive. Control the tongue and don't let it be used for vile purposes. And then train the tongue to be used for good purposes. And so he says here, who is wise among you, a wise and understanding among you, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness and wisdom. 
that word show again. That says, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. He's saying show. So it's important to be able to show. This is what he's saying here. Not just words, but words of wisdom from above. And then, so he says then, so consider these things. He said, bitter envy, self-seeking. They know what that means. They know if they have it in their hearts. We do too. If we're honest, if we're observant, if we're careful, if we want to know. And we might want to put the last part together and say, if we want to know. But he said, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not come from above. From above. Take note of that. He said, this is a wisdom, but it does come from above. So where does it come from? He said that in verse 15. It is earthly. It is sensual. It is, there's that word again, demonic, set on fires of hell. It is demonic. Bitter envy, self-seeking, boasting, lying against the truth, all that stuff. And so that talks about a problem. And so in verse 16, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. And now wisdom from above should guide the youth of the tongue. In these last couple of verses, wisdom from above should guide the youth of the tongue. But the wisdom that is from above, how can you identify it? How can you recognize it? What are the marks of the wisdom that comes from above? From above. Every good work, I mean, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, comes down from the Father of lights. He's talking about a wisdom that comes down from above. What kind of wisdom, what, what, kind of, what are the characteristics of it? First, pure. Then it says peaceable gentle, willing to yield, full of good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now, that's awesome, right? And so we can recognize the wisdom that is from above because these characteristics are the way to identify it. But then in verse 18, this is the last verse here. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You know, it said the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. God's righteousness. He says, but the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Think about the ones who are using their tongues for right purposes that honor God, making peace. James in 120, we just read that over that. He says, the wrath of man, I just said it, does not produce the righteousness of God. And then in 3.18, he says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted, accounted to him for righteousness. And then also it goes on to say, and he was called a friend of God. And so the righteousness of God. So the, that in the use of the tongue, we should be thinking the righteousness of God. Is what I'm doing with my tongue 
something that is consistent with God's righteousness, or is it not? I do appreciate you all taking the time to listen, and I trust that we will all benefit from what God has given to us, and I will close with a prayer. Our Father, we are thankful, and we ask you to cause us to learn greater thankfulness and gratitude for your love, your mercy, your long-suffering and patience with us. Teach us, we pray, through your word, by the Spirit of the living God. We ask for thanksgiving. Amen.